Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. Welcome to episode 63, where we're talking with Cyrus. Stay tuned as we talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. So hi, Cyrus. Who are you? So I'm Cyrus. Um, I am a 49-year-old cis white pansexual male who is hierarchical, polyamorous, and a big nerd. I think that hit pretty much everything, all in one quick little sentence there, I think. Um, So Cyrus, what does polyamory mean to you? So, I mean, poly is just kind of how I've always thought. I mean, I can remember way, way back when thinking about, again, not the word poly, like I didn't know the word or the term polyamory. Um, But to me, polyamory is just, I mean, it's naive to think that any one person can fill your entire life. Um, And so, you know, and if I want to go do something and my partner doesn't like to do that thing that I want to do, then why am I dragging them along and making them do things? Why do I not find someone else to do that thing with? And it's just, that's, that's kind of the core of it for, for, for me and for my partner too. Like my, you know, my, um, my wife, Violet, she, she has partners that she goes to do things with that. I don't like to like to do, you know, so why should I have to drag and go do something that I really am not, I, I'm not going to enjoy when she could go with somebody else and not worry about that. I'm not having fun. And you know, that that person is having fun and that whole kind of thing. So for me, it just means not replacing anybody, not, you know, just adding people in to really fulfill everything and make, you know, what you want to do all rounded around, you know, everything kind of complete and rounded for the most part. When you have partners, sometimes, you, you know, you, you end up not having partners and then that, that makes it a little bit harder. So what drew you to polyamory? So I kind of accidentally got into it. So I was in a, a bad marriage and I had a friend and she was in a bad, a bad relationship uh, and the two of us were playing Dungeons and Dragons together and, and we kind of became close and we both kind of started to like each other and it was kind of like, well, my marriage sucks, your relationship sucks, why don't we get out of them? And so her and I started dating, we left our like relationships, we, we started dating. With her and I, it was more of just a uh, like a uh, uh, with benefits kind of situation. Like we, you know, we 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 care, and and I still care about her greatly, and I still love her dearly. Um, she's not my partner at this point, but uh, we did have a good couple of years where we spent some time together and really took took care of each other and helped each other grow, which was which was great. But um, we kind of got into it because one day we were just talking about fantasies, you know, and everybody, you know, you kind of have that kind of conversation at some, some point in time. And uh, she had talked about, or she asked me what, what, what my fantasy was. And the typical guy answer was threesome, right? You know, I, I had, I had had like one before, but it wasn't really what I wanted it to be. It was not really, the girls really didn't interact with each other at all. It was just, you know, it wasn't as much as that I was looking for. And then to me, she looked at me and she's like, well, what about you and another, and another guy? I'm like, okay. And she was shocked, right? She was like, what do you mean? I've had this conversation before and, you know, guys always want two, two girls, but when I, when I want a second guy, they're like, no. And I was like, no, let's do it. So with that, we kind of got into swinging, but we found, uh, and what I found with my partner now that, you know, we always tended to want more out of swinging than just 
a one night stand, you know, we were always kind of like, let's find friends. And then with the friends, we can have sex with the friends and we can, you know, be intimate with our friends. And I find in the swinging world, and this is not a judgment because I still do, we still dip in the dip in the swinging world for once in a while, you know, random, ra random fun, but lots of people say they're looking for like long-term friends with benefits, but they don't really seem to actually want that. So they say that, but it's, we found it a lot harder to find people who really mean that when they say it. But that's kind of what got us, got me into it was the whole kind of backdoor, you know, swinging and then realized that poly was really what I was looking for. So would you say that's when you knew you were poly? Um, no, I definitely knew I was poly way before not, no, again, not, not knowing the term. So we can go way, way, way back to, I mean, when I was a kid, I, I like when I was probably eight, nine, 10 years old, I always kind of thought I was going to have two wives when I got older, like <laughs> I was going to have two wives. And then, you know, and then I got into like my teen years, um, being an eighties kid, you know, GI Joe was huge. Like I, I had tons of little figures and all that kind of stuff. And there's not a lot of girls in GI Joe, but there's a bunch of guys. So, you know, in, in addition to my GI Joe figures, having all these complicated battles and wars and all that, well, they had lives as well. So, you know, I think every female GI Joe character that I had, had a polyamorous relationship with at least two or three guys, um, <laughs> you know uh lady i remember J similar similarly playing with barbies and having like complicated yeah. queer relationships yeah yeah i mean i um, never had a ken my barbies were all lesbian were they nice okay good well uh, <laughs> well and the weird thing is now thinking back to it now again being like the dude right you'd think i would be thinking in a different manner but i think when i think about it like lady J was always with flint and duke uh, my girls were always with two guys I don't know that I ever had two girls and a guy. I think it was always with the guy with two girls or the girl with two guys, but probably because again, there's way more numbers. Yeah. So <laughs> that's kind of how it worked out. But that's but that's how my thinking always was, right? My thinking always was, you know, why just one person? Why when you could have two or three or four or whatever, you know. I mean, so I think even way back then, that was always my thought was from a young age but i didn't know the term right you didn't know right. you didn't know you know poly, polyamory and then as i got older um and started getting into school and like you know i remember i was in a, so, a sociology class in a college and we started talking about alternate lifestyles and they specifically brought up a there's a tribe or a village in um uh, over in Tibet, I think it is somewhere in like Tibet where they practice polyandry, which is one woman with multiple husbands. And they explain in this chapter about why they do this. They do this because one woman can only be pregnant once. So they control their population by having the women marry multiple men so that you don't have one man impregnating six women at once, six men can only impregnate the woman once. So they probably control them, their population this way. And I'm in like an online class. And of course, everybody's offended. Everybody is completely upset that, that, that there's a woman with five men. And then it gets even worse because this one woman they were talking about were all, was, was married to all brothers, five oh. brothers and her. So now they were extra offended because not only is she married to five men, but she's married to five brothers and I'm like the one person in the class that's 
defending the whole thing. Like, what are you talking about? You know? So it was really, I've, so I've just kind of always known and it's just progressed. And then, you know, that was after I'd already heard of polyamory. So I was aware of the, like the terms at that point, but um, I definitely have hit poly along the way. And I always end up being the minority fighting for it compared to all the regular straight people out there. You know? So yeah. yeah. What do you find difficult about polyamory? I mean, above and beyond time, right? Time is always tough. Um, uh, I think, so my partner and I, Violet, we do hierarchical polyamory. So she's always going to be my my primary person. We have a home, we have children together, all that kind of of stuff. Um, And we also, I'm not as much into having a bunch of relationships um, without her. So I'm very much more of having relationships with her, us doing this as more of a, a shared experience. So it tends to be difficult for us to find people that we both like. And that I think tends to be the hard part. Um, finding people that both of us are interested in, that both of us are attracted to, or both of us like. I mean, we've had plenty of times throughout our, I've been with her for 14 years. So throughout our 14 year life, we've had you know, girlfriends or boyfriends, whatever. And we've had them for, you know, you have them for eight, nine months and you got no figures have experienced this before. We have them for eight or nine, nine months. And then they find a partner that wants to be monogamous with them and they go off and be monogamous for a while. And then maybe a few years later, you run back into them and like, oh, hey, we're poly now. You know, it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. Or we had one woman that we were both super attracted to. We liked her a lot. We seen, we saw her like twice, I think. And on the second time she had told us that she uh, had been seeing another couple and they wanted her to become uh, ex- like exclusive with them. And so she like, we like lost her like within like two, two days. But we went through a time where like every eight or nine months we would have a partner that would want to be with us for quite a, quite a long time. And then we'd lose them and then we'd find someone else a few months later and do the same thing over and over again. But we do have one woman that we've been dating now for about three and a half years, four, four years now. Um, and she has a partner, she has a husband and other partners and, you know, and then my wife has a guy that she's been dating for probably uh, about the same time, about four or five years. So our next question is, when did you know you were poly, which you kind of covered, but um, I guess my question then would be like, when did you transition from a more of a swinging relationship to a poly relationship? Were you guys already married or did you um, do that before you got married? So um, we're kind of the horror story of the whole thing, as well as being, so we're two sides of the coin, right? So in one respect, we're the horror story, and I'll tell you this in a second. And the other respect, we're kind of like a good story. So we started, um, I was with my partner that I said I got into swinging with, I was with her. And my now current partner, Violet, was with her husband at the time. And we met at a swing swing party. Um, the funny thing is we met at this party and, it, and you know, the, my partner that I was with at the time and I fooled around with some people, not the partner that I'm with now. And they didn't, they fooled around with a couple people and, you know, we, we went about our ways. And after we left, you know, my partner at the time and I were talking and we were like, oh, who did you like at the party? Who, you know, blah, blah, blah. And when we left, it was like, you know, three o'clock in the morning. And we said, uh, specifically said, uh, I said specifically, I'm like, oh, I don't think that Violet and her husband liked, liked, that, liked us at all. And then uh, like the next day they found us on like a chat program. I don't remember which one it was like Yahoo messenger or something at the time and started chatting with us and was like, Oh, I guess they, I I guess they did like us. Um, So we all started, we, so we started seeing them um, swinging 
and then we did, then that was about when we kind of transitioned to something different. So then the four of us were swinging together and then we kind of decided, why don't we be a thing? And then we will try and date as a foursome, which was really hard. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure we ever actually successfully dated as a foursome. We tried, uh, both guys were pan slash bi and both girls were pan slash bi. And we met a we had, we had one guy that seemed really good uh, like like a bi guy that seemed really good and he was cute and you know we all liked him and stuff and it never worked out I don't think we ever actually managed to date him successfully so that was hard then Violet and her then husband they they split and then um, so Violet ended up staying with us and became we became a threesome uh, and then after eight nine months or so it was just obvious that I had this massive connection with her. Um, with Violet that I didn't have with the partner that I was with. Because like I said, her and I were really more like roommates, good friends that slept together kind of a thing. Um, I didn't ever actually see a, like a long-term thing with her. I was never going to have, I mean, I wasn't interested in having kids anyway, but wasn't interested in, in having like, you know, a house with her and all and all that kind of stuff. And with Violet and I, we had that with, we had that with each other. So the horror story is yes, we, we, we met as two as two couples and ended up being together as the horror story. But then we've been together for 14 years. So I guess it wasn't as much of a horror story as it might at first seem, you know. And that happens all the time. I mean, I was in a like seven year long relationship when I met my husband and he was married to another woman when uh, when we met. And both of those relationships, I don't want to say that they like they weren't destroyed by our relationship, but they evolved into friendship friendships they you know they de-escalated or down leveled whatever you want to say but they they became different relationships over time and we became different people over time so it makes sense you know relationships sometimes change and uh and it doesn't necessarily mean that like one relationship is causing it to happen but sometimes it can like I was actually just reading this really awesome book um building open relationships by dr liz powell talks a lot about how sometimes a new relationship can make you see the flaws in your, in your current relationship um, that you're, you are blind to because of the, you know, amount of time that you have time and energy that you've put into that relationship. You, you blind yourself to uh, problems and flaws in it. And then when you get into a new relationship, that like new relationship energy opens your eyes up a little bit, even if that relationship doesn't continue and doesn't like you're not leaving one for another, it, it can make you see a lot more things. And, and yeah, I totally, it resonated a lot with me because yeah. I've definitely left a very long relationship that was pretty toxic and should not have continued. <laughs> and it wasn't for my now husband, but it definitely happened alongside of me dating him. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And, and I mean, in this relationship that I was in was not toxic. I mean, it was just to me, I, I never saw that as being a long, long, long-term relationship, right? We right. were both in bad situ- bad situ- situations. We decided to get to get together. You know, we moved in together immediately. I mean, we had known each other for a couple of years. So it wasn't like she was a stranger. And, you know, um, we did the, you know, what is it? The uh, U-Haul date where you see him on the second date and then you move in with him immediately. You know, it wasn't like mm-hmm. like that. But um but we were both, we, we needed each other. I mean, think of, you know, who can survive in this world right now living on one paycheck, like almost no, almost no one. Right. So we needed, we, we, we needed each other to live and to have a place to live that wasn't, you know, like living in a trash can somewhere. And, but I, I never saw that as a, 
I'm going to grow old with this person and I'm going to die with this person. Right. Um, and then I did, I, I did, I found that, found that person and, and hopefully I will grow old and die with her. And <laughs> unless I die, I mean, unless I die soon, which would suck, you know, but. So when, and again, this is sort of a, if ever, but when did you feel different? So this, I've thought about this question a lot, actually, because uh, this is going to be a lot, one of those long winded questions that I had for you. Um, Excellent. I think forever. I mean, I have been, so I am the youngest of eight and I came many years behind my closest sibling. So I've always been like in a weird spot. So my, my, I have siblings that are old enough to be my parents. My parents, um, were my father still alive, he'd be 102 this year. Um, so when I was a kid, uh, you know, you start getting to that point where you start doing activities and like Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts and that sort of thing. I remember going to like a, like a Cub Scout thing where we went to like an overnight thing at a camp somewhere and my dad came. And now when I was born, my dad was 52. So now we're at this point where I'm talking like 10, 11 years, 10-ish years old, 9, 10 years old. My dad's in his 60s. So everybody was like, oh, you brought your grandfather. I'm like, no, that's my dad. Right. You know, so I kind of grew up in a in a in a household where um, by the time I was six, I had no siblings living in my, in my house with me. So my siblings, it was the 70s. My siblings had my my closest sibling, who's 10 years older than I am, moved out when she was like 16. So by like six, I was an only child, with the exception of the fact that every time a holiday or something happened, like 40 people would show up. <laughs> which, were all, which were all my siblings and their kids. Like I had my first kid, my, my first nephew when I was four. So, you know, it's, it's a really weird, so I've always kind of felt different, right? And then up in high school, or up in school, I was this little tiny, like, you know, even in like ninth grade, I was four foot 11 and like 70 pounds. Um, in middle school, my, my uh, dad died. So I, and, you know, went from always feeling different anyway, because I was this little tiny kid who had these really old parents and all these people that would come over and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, my dad died. So that became, I became this little tiny ball of anger that anybody could push and I'd start swinging. Right. So I was, I knew the principal by like first name basis. Cause I was in trouble almost every day. And then in high school, I was still again, like this four foot 11, 60 pounds, 70 pound kid until my junior year, when from my sophomore year to my junior year, like during that summer, I grew to six foot two. Oh my God. Whoa, that sounds painful. <laughs> oh, it was some of the worst growing pains you could ever imagine. My skin was stretching so fast. I would wake up in the middle of the night feeling like ants were crawling all over my body. Um, so it was very, it was very odd. But when I came back to school in my junior year, all of a sudden, nobody wanted to fight because I was big. <laughs> Right? So they yeah. went from beating the crap out of me to nobody wanted to fight anymore. So I've always kind of felt different the whole way in, in, you know, and I've always been a big nerd, right? I've been a big Dungeons and Dragons nerd and board game nerd. So I never really felt like I fit in anywhere at any point in time, even with my nerdy friends, I never really felt like I fed in because my family life was so drastically different than theirs. They all had dads and moms and I didn't, you know, so that was always a little bit weird. So I've always just kind of felt different than other people um, until in my adult life. And now all of a sudden, you know, I found my poly community. I found my partner who's poly. Now being a nerd is suddenly cool, 
Everybody <laughs> wants to be a nerd now. Everybody wants to play the Dungeons and Dragons that I've been playing for 38 years, and everybody thinks it's cool now. When I had to, you know, deal with, you know, my best friend mom calling me Satan because I played Dungeons and Dragons, and I had to, I lived through the whole say this satanic panic of Dungeons and Dragons and how I was shamed for playing, and I was must be the devil and you know, sacrificing goats and all this kind of crap. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and you know, and I and so it's been. It's been nice in many, many ways. And actually part of something else with this too, but um, it's been nice in many, many ways because I don't have to be in the closet anymore, you know, for being a nerd, which I, there were, there were, there were times as recent as like, I don't think even I told Violet in the beginning that I was a nerd. <laughs> like, I think I kind of kept it because I found that when my ex-partner and I were swinging, if you started mentioning you were nerdy, people treated you different, differently. And even though she was a big nerd and I was a big nerd, you know, so we kind of didn't mention that all the time until we felt people out and then realized whether it was safe to say those kind of things. So even as much as like 16 years ago, which I know is a long time, but we kind of had to like put the nerdy parts of ourselves in the closet. Right. So as if it's a, as if it's not enough that you're, you know, you're hiding swinging from everybody in your life. You're now hiding, you're being a nerd from a bunch of people, you know, uh, I'm pansexual, so I'm hiding being pansexual from that. Like you're hiding more stuff at this point about you than you are showing what you're showing to people, right? Like it's kind of odd. It's a weird social construct, I guess, or something. Well, and I think nowadays it's really interesting because ever so often in a poly group, someone will show up and be like, so I don't feel welcome here because I don't like Firefly <laughs> or something right, like right. I don't I don't watch I'm not a board gamer and I don't play board games how do I how do I fit in here <laughs> whereas well, it's like geek culture is so pervasive in, yeah. in the poly universe that uh, you almost feel like an outcast if you're not geeky well so then a couple things about that right about the, about like the geeky side of things so um, one I find it hard to find partners that aren't also geeks like, so if I, if we're dating somebody and we're like, oh, that person's really attractive, like physically, we think they're good. Let's see emotionally and, and like, you know, socially how our, maybe we might want to date, date them. I find it hard to be into people who are not also nerdy. So if like, I, I guess my, whereas nerddom is this huge expanse of stuff, my interests don't fall that often outside of nerddom. So when it comes to finding another partner, if they're not a nerd, I find it really hard to connect with them and, and become a partner with them. Yeah. And there've been a few along the way. And that's where Violet needs to pick up the slack a little bit. And maybe she becomes a little more emotionally intimate with them. And I'm just kind of like a friend with benefit with them, which is fine with me. I, I don't have a problem, problem with that. But I, you know, I find that hard if they're not a nerd to actually like connect with them some, sometimes. Um, part of being a nerd. So when I, was, when I was with the previous partner, we used to go out a few hours away. Um, some friends would uh, rent a campground for the, for like the weekend and they would LARP. So they would do werewolf, vampire, LARP kind of a deal. And there was like three of them that would run the game and everybody else would come out and we would camp and we would LARP for the whole, the whole weekend. We'd meet on Friday. We'd LARP for a few hours on Friday, all day, Saturday, a few hours on Sunday into the evening because of obviously, you know, werewolves and stuff, there's stuff with the moon going on. And we would, you know, we would, we would LARP into like halfway through Sunday and then we would go home. So we did this for like a year, year and a half. And obviously we live in the Northeast. So not during, not during the winter, but then um, her and I started singing and started, you know, getting into, you know, what kind of 
was on the outside of polyamory or to me polyamory is a, like this umbrella term and like swinging is like a subset of like polyamory right it's just because it's a it's definitely a part of it because it's if you're doing it right it's still ethical and, and that sort of thing but you know a little more focused i guess just on the sex kind of stuff so we started doing that stuff and then we find out afterwards like we started talking about it with these people that we're larping with and one the the, the group is like oh yeah we orgy out all the time after you guys leave <laughs> like what they were like yeah we didn't think you guys were into that kind of kind of kind of stuff so you know there's there's a bunch of us that get like that we all get together and have sex after like you guys leave i didn't know if i should be insulted the fact that they never even bothered to ask us or or that they uh you know or, or what i wasn't sure but it was just it was it was such a weird thing that all these gamer people that we had this gaming connection with and they were all like doing this stuff and then we wouldn't have known had we not dipped our toes into swinging slash polyamory and actually felt comfortable enough to talk to them about it and then when when we did we found out all of them were doing it mm -hmm. <laughs> we're talking like 20 people they were, they were all doing it it was like wow okay That's it's really funny. hidden a lot more than we think so where are you in your poly journey boy that's a hard question so i think i'm way into it obviously having been doing it now for probably if you count the swinging into the poly <clears throat> having been doing it for like 17, 18 years. Um, but then sometimes I feel like I'm right back at the beginning, you know, like there's times where, I mean, you know, cause you know, as you go through your journey, every person or couple's journey or whatever, you rewrite your guidelines slash rules, whatever you want to call them. You read, you rewrite them constantly. You know, I remember way back when Violet and I first got like together, we were, we had, we had, we had met this, um swinging group that met at this couple's like house and they met once a month and we kind of went there the first time and then we liked them we liked some some of the people at the time we were soft swapping so for those that don't know we weren't having intercourse like penis and vagina intercourse with anybody else we were just doing soft swapping kind of stuff and but we kept going back because we really liked the people and afterwards we would go to like denny's afterwards at two o'clock in the morning and you know we were all hanging out we'd go to birthdays with them and that sort of thing so again kind of started like poly kind of stuff even though it was still under the guise of swinging because we didn't know what poly was at the time but then you know something would happen at a party or something and one of us would feel uncomfortable and we'd like okay now we have to talk about this like we didn't really talk about this before but you know one of our silly things in the beginning was kissing right kissing became a thing where okay you can kiss somebody but not more than a minute, and then, <laughs> right? Yes, exactly. That's the exact response that you that you should have. Everybody listening should be now laughing because that's absolutely ridiculous. Who kisses for a minute? Like we didn't know. We weren't thinking. Who times it? I mean, right exactly. right, exactly. So you know, just you know, and that obviously did not work, and we changed our minds on that, and that fell to the fell to the wayside. But it was like we wrote these rules as we went, and then after doing those rules or guidelines, whatever you want to call them for like a month or two, we'd be like, well, that's stupid. We should stop doing that. <laughs> and we'd throw that out, right? So we would write all these things and these constructs, and then we'd take them apart and throw them to the wayside and write different ones and we'd keep, keep going. So it kind of evolved, evolved, evolved as things went. And I think as you get partners coming in and partners leaving, that kind of resets things too, right? So, I mean, there have been times my partner and I, Violet, we've both to the outside looked like monogamous straight white people right you know we have a kid all that kind of stuff we were just we were just a couple soccer mom and guy next door 
no one would ever know that neither one of us is really straight and you know we're poly and all this kind of stuff unless you asked us and we told you so we've gone the journey's been kind of crazy i think we're way down the road but then sometimes i feel like we're right back at the beginning at the same time like you know when you don't have partners our partner that we currently are have been with for like three and a half four four years things are kind of petering out with her i think covid kind of killed that because she lives like an hour and a half away hard to get together covid is making it difficult so i think that relationship is kind of falling by the wayside so we really don't have like a girlfriend together like we like to have so i think well, i kind of feel like i'm back at the beginning yet way down the road at the same time so do you have any poly goals or where do you hope to go in your poly journey yes absolutely so and i've heard you guys talk about this, talk about this before too so i i know this is kind of like a like maybe a more common answer that most people have i mean we'd love to have an intentional community of poly people right uh there was one point we were trying to find a uh there was a uh, a piece of land near us that was like 30 something acres had like four houses on it you know and it wasn't all that expensive it was like $350,000, which is expensive, but not when you're getting like four houses, right? We didn't end up buying it, but we, but we had got that. We, we looked at it thinking this would be a great place to make a little intentional community of poly people, you know, people that we want to, that A, we want to be in relationships with, or just want to have people that think like us and, you know, be around us, you know, where we could have, you know, I'm also kind of like to be nude a lot. So, you know, where I could walk around naked if I wanted to, and we could have like an outdoor shower and people could, you know, you could just be more, I mean, it sounds kind of communish, but um, more of like an intentional community, I guess would be more of it. But so I think at some point we'd like to get to that, you know, I'd like to find us uh, a couple longer term partners that we both enjoy to spend time with, uh, but also have like an intentional community of people living in the same you know, condensed area where you can feel more comfortable. I live in a very, not to get political, but I live in the red part of a blue state being in New York. I'm in upstate New York. So I'm in the very red part of a blue state. Um, mm -hmm. So not near very many poly people. That's going to change. We're considering moving sometime soon to a more uh, poly lake area for that exact reason, because we want to be around our people. We don't feel like we're around our people. Understandable. Yeah, we, I feel very privileged to, to live in a, in a blue part of a red state. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're in the very small blue area of a pretty red state. Yeah, well, I don't know. I think our state is very purple. Actually. That's true. That is very true because- There's I mean, a lot we, of states that are becoming blue. a lot more purple than you think. Yeah. Um, I mean, look at, look at Georgia. Who, who would have thunk? Mm -hmm. Oh my Georgia, gosh, right? Or how close Texas got. Yeah. Would have yeah. imagined. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that was another thing we thought too, right? So we're both very liberal in our spectrum, right? We're both very, very blue in that, in that case. Um, we thought, Hey, why don't we move to a state? A, we want better, better weather. So Florida is probably where we're looking. Um, so why not move to a state where we can find a nice bright blue spot and then maybe actually influence in a, like an election because my vote in New York does not matter, right? It's going to go blue no matter what. I mean, it hasn't gone red since Reagan back in the 80s. So it's going to go blue. So my vote really does not matter. Maybe if we got to a state that was like you're saying, a blue spot in a red state or something, maybe my vote might actually mean something. That's a cool way of thinking about it. Plus better weather. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sick of snow. Understandable. 
So uh, one of our last questions here is, uh, why do you think you are poly? I think I'm just wired that way. I think it's just the way it is. I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't think I've ever been truly happy being monogamous. Um, and I think also being pansexual, see me personally, this is just my personal thought, is that I don't think you can be pansexual or bisexual or any of the, you know, where you like both genders or any gender or whatever it is. I don't think you can do that and actually be monogamous at the same time, because let's say I'm with a woman right now, but then I'm like, oh, I want to have a guy. Well, if I'm monogamous, I can't do that. So it's kind of like taking a part of me and shutting it off for however long that is, right? However long that like relationship lasts. And once that relationship is over, then I can decide to do something about that, right? I mean, you could say monogamish, so to, so to speak, but I think it just, for, for me, just doesn't fit. If I want to be with a person that's not like my partner, I can't do that if I'm being monogamous and be ethical about it. And I think millions of people do shut that part off of, you know, they just shut that part down. Mm -hmm. And that is unfortunate. But yeah, I think that you're right in that, like, the only way to do it is say, well, this part doesn't count right now. <laughs> right. And that well, that's kind of what I was saying earlier. Like, you know, you can say, you know, like many of us do at like work and that sort of thing. Like you go to work and you put this persona on of, you know, my work people think I'm this straight white dude. They kind of know I'm a little bit nerdy and geeky, but they haven't really asked a lot of questions about it. They've, you know, they've seen me playing po like Pokemon Go at work or something like that while my break. But, you know, they don't try and they don't really ask a lot about it because none of them are like that. So they don't even know what to ask. Right. Right. I'm sure if they do ask poly and not straight, they'd have tons of questions. But you kind of put this persona on to, to these people and you do it while, you, while you're at work. So now if you're a pansexual, bisexual, whatever you want to say, where you like more than just, if you're not heterosexual, let's, let's, I'm trying to use proper terms here. So if you're not just heterosexual or homosexual, where you like one gender or perceived gender, then you, not only are you shutting all that off at your work, but then you're also shutting all of that off at home. So like we struggle enough being at like our work and our workplace and not being our full selves because you really can't be, why would you also want to do that at home? Right. Like, I, I would find that really hard, really hard to do. Yeah. So why did you agree to be interviewed? I love talking about Polly. I've been listening to you guys. I'm like, I was telling Lindsay, I'm 40 something episodes in listening to you guys. And, uh, and uh, I just love talking about Polly. I've, I've, um, as my question, as our topic is going to be here soon, um, I used to run a poly group and I so looked forward to my like once a month get together to just discuss poly with like-minded people. And so the funny thing is, as you guys are asking these questions to other people in the 40 episodes that I've been listening to, I keep answering the questions in my head. So I've answered these questions with you guys probably a thousand times at this point. <laughs> every time I, I'm answering it in my head to the point where I've had the inner monologue running so much. I've had to rewind the, the um, episode because I missed what the other person was actually saying because I was talking to myself in my head. So I well, I'm glad we finally got a chance to talk to you in real life instead of <laughs> just being in your head. Yes, exactly. I have enough voices in my head. I don't, I, I don't need more. <laughs> See, I was feeling kind of crowded. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, we are going to take a short break and we'll be right back.
Polyamory Uncensored is excited to announce a brand new product. We have designed a planner and journal specifically geared for polyamorous individuals. If you're a fan of the podcast, you know that I love recommending journaling to our guests and audience members. After about the 50th time or so I caught myself suggesting it, I thought to myself, there should be a journal specifically designed for us polyamorous folks. One that includes a planner, because of course we be planning, and one that prompts us to go deep into our poly lives. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly, the just plain complicated truths. <laughs> and I wanted to put together a space where you could go if you needed to vent out all of those really hard poly drama feelings. So I designed the Polyamory Uncensored Planner and Journal. This little book includes a full year planner for the year 2021, as well as self-discovery pages, guided journal with polyamory themed prompts and resource guide pages so that you can keep track of the books and podcasts and websites that you find helpful in your poly journey. Get yours today for yourself or the thoughtful polyamorist in your life at tinyurl.com slash poly 2021. That's tinyurl.com slash poly 2021. In doing so, you support me and this podcast. Thank you so much. I love you. Bye. All right. And we are back talking with Cyrus about like creating poly communities. So you mentioned before that you had your own poly group. I guess what I wanted to know is what kind of organization did you run? So we started it off as just like a poly potluck right? Which I think is, we thought this was so innovative at at the time. And then I find out pretty much everybody's doing this. So (laughs) I'm not so sure. I I don't know. I I don't know who originally thought about, you know, the poly potluck idea, but I don't think any of us actually knew a lot of poly people except each other. So how we came up with that idea, I don't know, but we would do just a, like once a month, we would go to somebody's house. We would have, everybody would bring food and we would just spend an evening, um, you know, socializing, and then at the end, kind of towards, it always it usually ended up being the end of the evening. We'd spend probably like an hour or two uh, having like a group discussion kind of thing, almost like a group therapy session uh, where we would pick like poly topics and we would talk about them. How big was your group? Um, it got, at one point, we were up around 40, 50 people. Like oh, it got wow. pretty good um, at one point. And then I think we made some mistakes. Um, in our organization and we kind of lost a bunch of people so we had a group of like seven of us that were kind of like the leadership of the group and you know we started not trying to be elitist but we were we wanted to make sure we were venting people that weren't just trying to show up to cause trouble because we we had a couple people that kind of showed up and you were kind of like are they really here because they want to be poly or they just were they looking to see if they could I hook up with like they thought this was like a hookup party and they were here for that for that reason and then one time um one of our poly leadership people was a solo poly person she was had been solo poly her entire life um she was in like her 60s um and we called her the goddess and she uh you know we had had a poly potluck at her house um and somehow at some point a random guy had got left behind um like he kind of like we didn't do a good enough job of making sure everybody was gone before like the leadership people all left. So everybody left and she ended up in her, in her house with a stranger Mm. and he didn't do anything wrong, but he was difficult. Like she tried to get him to leave and he kind of was like making excuses. Like he had to use the bathroom and blah, blah. So she eventually got him to leave. 
But then because of that, we kind of swung the pendulum too far to the other side. So then we started going through things like, well, now everybody that comes has to, one of us has to like meet them first. And, you know, I, I think it made it harder for us to find new people because we put so many restrictions in place over this one event that it, our, then as people lost interest, they left and we weren't getting new blood in to have discussions and stuff with. So when we finally decided to end, I think we were down to a core like 10 people that came every single month and it was a great group of people. We, we really enjoyed them, but uh, I felt like it was getting a little stale. We weren't getting new fresh people to come in and have different topics or different topics and different views on topics that every time we had the discussion, it kind of ended up being the same discussion over and over and over. Sure. So it, so it kind of petered out at that point, but it, it had gone two and a half years or so. So I mean, we, we, we made it quite a distance, but no. And so it was a it was a social group as well as a discussion group that you correct. Well, okay. Yeah, we did a we 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 did both. We did like a social slash discuss slash discussion group at the same same time. We also and had um, like uh, one. We had two members that generally held them at their house. The one member had a hot tub. The other person had a pool. So around the water areas, you were allowed to be nude, so people would swim naked or get in the hot tub naked, and. Um, but there was no playing on premises or, or anything like that. And people were told ahead of time, like, if you go near the water, you might encounter naked people. So if you're not comfortable, don't go near, near the water areas. And I don't think anybody was ever bothered by that, really. But like I said, I think it just got a little stale on us. And if I were to do it again, there are things I would do differently. Yeah, I feel like, so I run a, a poly group that is, you know, we have two meetings a month. One is social and one is discussion-based. And now they're all, you know, virtual on Zoom and whatnot. But when they were in person, uh, we definitely would get that, that random person who was like maybe even just visiting in town for the weekend or the week or whatever, and was trying to hook up. And then they would come to the discussion group and be like, oh, this is like a lecture. Like, oh no, right. <laughs> like, this is right. a, this is purely a discussion. And we're talking about really heavy topics. Like breakups and jealousy and insecurities and and I could see on their face like oh uh, I don't belong here and this is not what I came here for um I hope those people learn something but they would only they would only show up for one meeting you know pretty much yeah. uh and you know and sometimes people who were monogamous but um interested or curious would show up and maybe maybe show up for one or two meetings and and maybe think, oh, okay, these are my people and, and continue or, or think, okay, this isn't for me and, and leave. But I think because I think there's a way to set a precedent of, of like, this is a, a discussion group. This is a serious, you know, topic uh, and we're going to stay on topic. And, you know, we're, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it just like sets a tone for the meeting that can, that, oh, this is not a play party, you know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> right. And well, and I think people who don't know, you know, they don't know. So, you yeah. know, the, the big joke we always made in our group was, you know, swingers have sex and poly people talk about sex, you know, <laughs> so, uh, you know, so, but then people would show up thinking it was going to be some sort of a swinger slash play, play a party. And they would be like, oh, this is not what this is at all. You know, so no, it's more of like a community of people and getting to you know, have those discussions and have, you know, I remember one conversation, which was a great, great conversation. And um, it really opened up my eyes to something that I never thought about, right? So um, like boundaries or rules or whatever you want to call them, or having the open communication about certain things. We had a couple who 
um, they were poly. He was actively dating a, another woman and she wasn't actively dating any, anyone. But, you know, he was taking his girlfriend of four or five years that they had been like together at this point. Um, and, you know, they went to, you know, the, I guess like the girlfriend was like, hey, let's go out to dinner. And he's like, oh, I know this great Italian place. They went to dinner, all harmless, right? He gets home, he talks to his primary partner and tells him what happened and she loses her mind because the place he took the girlfriend was like their sacred place that they had gone to with their kids every time something special happened, all their anniversaries they had spent at like this, 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 this particular Italian place. And she just was like, to her, that was like a ultimate betrayal that he would take someone else there, not with her, right? You know, like it was this thing and it was like, holy crap, who would have even thought of that? Like, I would not have thought of that. I would not have thought, I would think the same way he was thinking, right? Maybe it's just because I'm- Me too. Kid. Like, oh, this food's really good. We should go there. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, I was thinking more, it's 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 a dude and like, I like to joke with some people, dicks are dumb. So, you know, we do stupid crap and it's like, oh, I like Italian food. I love this particular place. Let's go to it, you know? And I, would, I don't think I would ever thought about, you know, how this would affect my partner. Like going to this place, oh, I come here with my other partner. Is this going to make them feel bad? But because we had this awesome open discussion about it, it was like, bing, that flipped in my brain. And now, so now with my partner, I think about that kind of stuff. You know, hey, if I go here, maybe I should just ask Violet first, whether she, whether it would bother her if I went to this particular place that we go to often with somebody else. Maybe I should make sure that I ask that question. So I think, I think it was a great discussion and it really helped a lot of people to think like, wow, oh yeah, there's this you know, this thing that I never thought and never thought of. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It, it really does. It really, it would never, it probably would never have dawned on me had I not had that discussion. Yeah, I feel like with, I mean, we've been having the discussion group now for, I want to say 12 years. I think it was 2009 that we started. And, uh, and I always feel like I'm learning something or I'm, or even just like I'm learning about the human experience. Like you said, like I would never have thought about it in that way and maybe it would never have been a problem with you and your partner because of your dynamic but like I I have come across so many people who have so many different dynamics than me you know like with my husband and I we definitely have like places that we go on anniversaries and birthdays but we would never necessarily uh, prevent one another from going there uh, with another person right like that's just not our dynamic um, but but I have had exes that Oh, absolutely. The, even yeah. going out to a movie would seem like that's our thing. Like, it's like, right. you don't own theaters. Like, what the fuck? Like, no, yeah. you don't own movie experiences. Uh, and so. Right. Whereas that, in a different thing, like, gosh, I really was hoping to see that movie with you. Can we negotiate this movie is a different conversation. Oh, and I have For had sure. full on fights because I am a nerd, right? Like I have had full on fights with uh, an ex of mine that was like, I want to go see Batman opening weekend and you're not available. So I'm going with another partner. And he was devastated. Yeah. And I was like, hey, this is important to me. <laughs> you know, like, so, yeah, uh, we have had, I've had issues with people, but I know that um, I, that's also just like, it's a relationship dynamic that if it doesn't work for you, that's something you have to communicate. And if it's something that's super important to you, you have to communicate that too. Cause yeah, it'll, you can hurt someone and have no idea because that's not even in the 
forefront of your brain that that would hurt someone, right? Yeah, and his was, it literally was particular, like extremely innocent. They had never had the conversation right? and it just never dawned on him. He was like, it was, it's good Italian food. I like going there, let's <laughs> right. go, right? Right, and, well, and, and uh, Lindsay, I remember a funny um, story or post or something that you told about uh, coming home and finding Rob and Jen watching something on Netflix that was like, wait, (laughs) I thought we were going to start that together. Yes. And, and I do say that we have an open Netflix relationship and most couples don't, uh, if they they watch something on Netflix, it's okay. I can watch it again. But at the same time, uh, if, if someone, but a lot of people don't feel that way. They're like, oh, you've already watched it. It's ruined for me now. And I'm like, no, I will rewatch things. (laughs) It is okay. I like watching stuff. Uh, But yeah, most people do not have an open Netflix relationship. It's true. It's very funny. Yeah. I think the only problem with that comes in when, you know, uh, so for instance, uh, we just watched Wonder Wonder Woman 1984 Mm -hmm. and it was awful. It was god awful, terrible. It was so bad. I can't even. I can't even explain how bad it was. It was so bad. So, had I'm all for like, you know, watching something twice, but with like two different partners. But then, what if it's terrible? <laughs> okay, so you really want to watch this? I watched it with my other partner, but it's awful, and now I have to sit through two awful. Like it's already taken two plus hours away from me. I have to now take four plus hours away from me on this pile of crap. Like. <laughs> At least it's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty though. Yeah, it, it <laughs> was. Can... Yeah, I mean, Gal Gadot is probably one of the most beautiful women women on the planet, and she makes a great Wonder Woman. But the second movie was. Awesome. They tried really hard, apparently. <laughs> so something that I, I was thinking about before is like creating safe spaces, and you mentioned something that's I think really really common in poly communities is that oftentimes we can't find a public space to meet that is conducive to discussion, right? Like meeting at a bar or restaurant unless you have a private back room, which can sometimes either be costly or sometimes not be big enough or whatever, it can be really hard. And a lot of folks meet in their homes. Um, and and our group is incredibly lucky to have a local like feminist sex toy shop, which allowed us to meet in their space. We sometimes filled it up to capacity because you know we can, it's a very small store, but we, um, we were able to have this space that was like public, not in anyone's personal home. So no one was having to like worry that, oh, I don't know, some random stranger was going to come into their home. And, um, and like, that is super beneficial. Like if you are creating a, a, a poly group and you want to have a, like a safe discussion space, having the, the back room of a bookstore or the back room of a, like, a, like us, like a, a sex toy store or something that's like a sex positive, positive space is so is so important um but also incredibly rare and i think that when folks have poly groups in their homes they're really opening themselves up you have to be so trusting and a lot of problems arise when you know you're opening yourself up to a a public community of strangers who you know like any when anyone can come and then yeah like you said on the flip side closing yourself off and making it an exclusive um, space isn't necessarily a problem because it makes it safer, but then you're closing yourself off to being an open community an open and accepting and inclusive community. So yeah, it's really, it's really difficult. And I, I encourage people to find those spaces that 
are, you know, like your queer bookstore maybe would let you meet in the back room or something like that. Uh, because yeah, meeting in the house is really difficult. And we've had socials, yeah. we've had socials in people's houses. And sometimes people are like, this was amazing. I'll do it again. I would do this every month. And some people are like, I will never host again. And I'm one of right. those people because I live in a tiny house. Like having 40 people in my house for a Halloween party was a lot. <laughs> I don't think I would want to do that again. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's, you know, so that made it so that the person who was hosting, you know, spent, per, you know, we do this on like Friday night. So they'd spend almost their entire day Friday, um, you know, making sure their house was clean and ready, ready to go. I mean, after that one little incident, and again, nothing really bad happened. You know, the guy left, but he was kind of dragging his feet about leaving and she was a woman by herself. You know, yeah. we made sure that um, the, the like seven of us that were in our like core little leadership group, we would make sure that we all um, did not leave her alone Yeah. after that. You know, we always made sure that one or one or two of us stuck around till everybody was out of the house and, you know, to try and make sure that that was, that didn't happen again. But I mean, yes, I, I completely agree. Like I, if I were to ever do this again, um, I would probably try and find a public place to do at least most of it, at least, you know, you could still have like, hey, let's have a discussion group at my house with you 12 people because I really like you 12 people. Let's all come to my house and have a group, right? That would be fine. Um, but if I were to do it again, I would definitely find, you know, the the sex toy shop is something that never would have, would never have crossed my mind. So that's good. So, so when I started listening to you, I was like, oh, of course, like that makes complete sense. Like, why didn't I not think about that 10 years ago when I was doing this, you know? Um, so I would look for something like that for sure, because just the safety of, you know, it's a space that's not yours, but you know, you have to wear some weirdo that knows where you live and starts causing problems and probably some stupid dude who's being a jerk. You know, the women are rarely ever the weirdos. It's always the dude. I've met a few, I've met a few weirdos. <laughs> it does seem to skew, but yeah. Yeah. I also kind of wanted to go into like advice for folks who are out there who want to start a group. Cause I know when we, when I first moved to Milwaukee, there was a very small community of poly folks who met at like a Chinese restaurant every few months when the whim kind of like would come about them. And uh, and when I first started in the community, I was 20 years old, you know, I was, and most of the folks in this community were over 60. And so we just didn't have a lot to discuss that we had, um, were on the same, like, grounds you know and so it just right. didn't there wasn't a huge connection there and discussions kind of got stale because I just didn't feel like we could connect and then so I wanted to create a community for like the younger group right and that's what my group initially was it was the young Milwaukee Poly group uh and we dropped the young like I think I was like 28 or something and I was like you know what this isn't why this doesn't matter I everyone is welcome to my group why would I seem like I'm targeting one specific audience when I'm not like everyone is welcome so we dropped that after a while but I uh I wanted a space to um to talk and connect with people my age so that's why we initially started it and every so often every couple years um a group will form that is like hey so the Milwaukee Poly group isn't necessarily serving us because of XYZ, like because we're more swingers and we're not poly or because we're kink focused and not relationship, romantic relationship focused or something like that. And so a group, a subset group will form. And uh, I am, 
I always want to encourage that because I think that like more groups, more opportunities for discussion and, and meeting people and socializing is, is better, like more groups, the merrier. Um, and then, you know, in, in communities like Chicago, there are like 15 poly groups, like for all different, different types of polyamory, different things that people are looking for. There's a ton. And here in Milwaukee, we have one. And then all of those other little subset groups will sometimes last for like a year or two, and then they will dissolve for whatever reason. Um, and so I think that, you know, it's really important that if, if a community, it doesn't either doesn't exist or the, the community that doesn't, that does exist, doesn't serve you to start your own group. And I would love to, to kind of like have a discussion on like, how do you do that? What are the best ways to start your own group? So like, do you remember what kind of things you went, the steps you went through to start your own? Yeah. I mean, I, I, we, so we basically just had a cool group of us that were like, Hey, you know, we're all, you know, we're all poly. We've all kind of met somehow, you know, the, the initial group, a few people were me and my partner, Violet, my ex-partner who we, you know, the, the woman that I was with when I was with the two of them and then, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And we're still good friends to this day. We still love her to death and we go visit her um, all the time and stuff. And she has a new partner and, and stuff like that. Um, so it was her. And then like a couple other people that we were close with that we, that, that we knew who were also either poly or interested in poly. In fact, one person of, in our leadership group was a single guy who wasn't actually sure he was poly, but he liked poly people, right? He liked the openness and the, and, and the way poly people were but he wasn't necessarily poly himself. Uh, and he was one of the ones that he would host the parties like every other month we would have it at his house. Um, at one point, my mother-in-law came to some of our poly groups. Um, she's kind of a hippie crunchy person uh, and like a therapist. And she likes, you know, like was very so curious in a therapy kind of way of what was happening at the groups. And she came to the groups um, for a few months and she liked the people and, and, that, and that sort of thing. Um, so, I mean, it was a really good opening like space that we started to just kind of put this group together. Again, we're in upstate New York, so it, there's not a lot of people around. So we did pull a bunch of people in. And I think at one point we pulled everybody in. I think at one point there was every poly person around, <laughs> was probably <laughs> at our group, but- um, How did but you again, contact people? Um, we, or it was fine. kind of friend of a friend. It was, oh, okay. this was, again, this was probably like way back in the beginning of like Facebook and all that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. we didn't have like Facebook groups and that sort of thing. In fact, we ran most of it off of a, like a, like a Google group email list for a while. Oh. Like give us your email, we'll put it on the group. And when we blast things out, we'll, you know, you'll get the, you'll, you'll get the information. Um, yeah. I think the initial group that was in Milwaukee was a Yahoo group. Yeah, uh, and yeah. this was, yeah, again, like probably the beginning of Facebook, we started a Facebook group or a Facebook page, or I'm not quite sure, um, right around our first meeting and a meetup, meetup.com. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's how I think we've found the most, the bulk of our people. Uh, yeah. And then also the, the place that we meet, the tool shed would put us on their website, which I think a lot of people also saw that. So they would say, hey, this is a monthly free event. If you're in an ethical open relationship or whatever, or curious, this is happening. Um, which is of course, you know, advantageous for both the group and the business because they got more people to come potentially right. to their store, which is great. Um, but yeah, I feel like nowadays, if you don't have an online presence, yeah, you're, you're only getting word of mouth. 
right? Like, and, right. and that's basically then, what it was. Yeah. Back, back right. even what 10, 15 years ago, you had to do everything word of mouth. And I, it honestly is like mind boggling now. Cause I'm like, Oh, why wouldn't you just tweet about it or whatever? <laughs> right. right. And mind boggling how it even worked. Like how I yeah. even at one point had 50 people in a room for this, like, is, uh, how did that even happen? I mean, I, I, I know that we had a couple of members one of our members was a therapist and he had some LGBT people and non-monogamous people in his practice. So he invited them to come because it was like a, you know, a good social group for them. And also, um, you know, we'd have this open discussion about stuff. Uh, and a couple of the people were just very openly poly and very openly alternative lifestyle. So they were grabbing everybody they could possibly find that was even remotely interested in saying, you need to come to this group. And so they did. And we had all these people come in um, I certainly would do it much different, you know, paid, you know, Facebook pages and all that kind of stuff now. It's a totally, totally different world of how I would start a new group now and get things, things, things going. Um, and I think that's probably hard. what a lot of folks do now is they'll start um, a Facebook group or especially if they already have a couple of established friends and they're like, hey, I want to start a, let's say, poly geeky group locally and we can come and play board games or something like that. Right. Um, that probably happens in every large city in America right now is like, is there's one poly geeky group. Um, but uh, I feel like, yeah, if there isn't in your, you know, and, and, and oftentimes what is interesting is you'll, you'll start a group thinking, okay, this might just be me and my partner. And then 30 people show up, right? Like, and that's kind of how the Milwaukee poly group started is it was just uh, my partner and his wife. Uh, we started a group together and we, had the first meeting talking about, I think, coming out. Uh, that was the topic that we had chose. Um, expecting maybe four or five people, friends of ours or something would show up. And I want to say we, I think there was like 28 chairs we could have and we had all of them filled and then like two people standing. So we were like, oh, so there is a community here. Okay. Right. So like people will come out of the woodwork if you if you know the spaces to advertise and promote yourself or if you really put yourself out there somehow. We also actually ended up doing a, a very small, and it's somewhere on the internet, I'm sure, uh, like TV spot for a local news station, just talking about starting the group and, nice. and our lifestyle. And that, I mean, honestly, I, I cringe to even think about what I said on it. Cause again, I was 20, who knows, but, and, but they also, they interviewed us about like polyamory and then they interviewed a, a like, relationship counselor and she was like I just don't know how that could work you would really have to communicate a lot and I was like and that's a bad yeah. thing like yeah, yeah. You, do. you do have to communicate a lot <laughs> so that was really funny um but yeah it's it's it I, I really encourage people to start their start groups if you uh if you feel that there is a a need for it or a want in your community or a lack in your community because they are really awesome yeah, and you know what, but now thinking about it too, like as we're having this like discussion about it, like I would even say you're like, like you're saying how you have like the one like I, I love the idea of like, like an um an umbrella term. So I use umbrella terms for lots of things, you know, um like poly is an umbrella and there's subsets of things underneath poly, you know. Just like I think um jealousy is not really a feeling. Jealousy is an umbrella that has things like sadness and fear and all this stuff underneath it, which is really what jealousy is, right? Jealousy is not a, not a feeling itself. It's a, it's a package of like three or four or five different feelings that make you feel a specific way, right? So 
having like your group in Milwaukee and you talk about all these little groups that pop up and just and then disappear why would they not just be a part of your group and then like I said say like hey you 12 people are all into the same thing I'm into why don't we start meeting once a month in addition to meeting this in, in this group let's meet by ourselves as well mm-hmm. you know and I, I think that's how I would do it like if I was in a poly group and there were only like 15 people who were into board games and Dungeons and Dragons. And, you know, I'd be like, hey, let's continue to come here. But why don't you guys meet with me another time when we can all get together and just play board games, you know? Um, yeah. And actually that uh, somewhat recently happened. We had we started like a sister group for folks who are more into kink relationships and kink dynamics so that that wasn't like clogging up the feed of one particular group we could have a a secondary group and uh and i think in in local spaces they have done that for like geeky stuff but but what's funny is i'm pretty sure everyone in the group is geeky so it would just be all of our members (laughs) so i'm like i don't know that seems like we don't need to do that we'll just all be geeky and this will be the geeky milwaukee group or something (laughs) But but the bonus to that is if you if you did an umbrella group with subgroups beneath it, and this mm-hmm. is how I would do it if I were to do things again in the future, at least then you're not stepping on each other. Because what happens is when you have two completely independent functioning groups, it almost always happens one person's not really paying attention. They don't pay attention that your group's meeting on Friday night and they schedule a meeting for Friday night, and then either you have less people or they have less people. And totally. you know, and yeah. like like you, you almost need like a group calendar for yeah, all of your yeah. communities yeah absolutely right so if you have one big community umbrella and then other little sub communities in there and you all have like a shared calendar where it's like okay we can't you know the milwaukee poly groups on friday so we can't do it on that friday so we'll make sure ours are on this day you mm-hmm. know and and for people who are starting their own group i think in addition in addition to that a a and i think you guys do this a set schedule like the first friday of, of every month or the third you know whatever blah blah yeah. was really helpful to us like at first we tried to kind of just do blah, blah, blah. No one really knew when everything, when, when anything was. And we would email people because we were an email list and people would get the emails, but then, you know, they would forget or whatever. So having things like the first Friday or the first Saturday or the third Saturday, whatever it was, really made it a lot different because people would just plan on that. Or they'd be like, okay, we have plans for that, for, for that day. The plans would fall through and they'd be like, oh, it's the first Friday, the poly groups meeting. Let's go to the poly group. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, it just, it, it really made it a set schedule really made it a lot better for us. Yeah. I think consistency is, is really key to continuing a group for a long period of time, because if it feels random, then people will only randomly feel that they need to go or whatever, you know, and whereas if you know, it's there, you know, it's there and it's always going to be there. And I feel like, um, so again, like the Milwaukee Poly Group has been going on for 12 years and I have missed maybe three discussion group meetings. But um, what I have always been able to do is kind of elect someone to, to be in my place and uh, to right. do the discussion. I know that Katie has actually ran one of our <laughs> discussions before. And that was pretty awesome that uh, someone else was able to like take the lead when I was either sick. I know I was sick once. I had like food poisoning. <laughs> like I was sick once. And then once I was out of state, uh, and then I also uh, had a baby, so that was another one that was wrenching the worst there, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I was the same way. So, so the the reason why my group always did like a potluck and a discussion because the discussion was like my favorite part. 
like I really enjoyed the people. Like I did enjoy the social part and, you know, having food and that kind of, I'm not a foodie. So the food part of it was kind of like, okay, I'm going to eat cause I'm hungry. Uh, but I'm not really a foodie. So um, I wasn't there for like, Oh, you brought this food. Oh, that's great. Cause I've, you know, whatever. Um, but the discussion part was what I really enjoyed. I loved, and I almost always moderated the like discussion. I think the therapist person that was the, that was in our group, he moderated, I think the first week. And from then on, I had it from then on, I, I, I moderated the entire time and we would pick various topics like jealousy, like, right. you know, coming out to your friends and what do you tell your friends and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, Cause in my life, I mean, I'm pretty out to most people. My old job knew some of the people there knew my new job, nobody knows, but I just started there. Um, but like Violet's family knows, even though her father, we think he knows, but he just doesn't let it acknowledge in his brain. He like ignores it or something. Um, but my family knows and our friends all know, you know, so we're pretty out to most people. Um, and mine was too, because we had a pretty serious partner at one point in time and we were planning on bringing her to a holiday and I'm not going to show up to Thanksgiving and pretend she's not my like a person. Violet and I were dating this person and, and she was going to come with us to thank, to thanks, to Thanksgiving. And I wasn't going to pretend she wasn't important to us, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it was, I just, I didn't want to be that way. I didn't, I thought it would feel weird. And, you know, what is that saying to the person? Like, yeah, you're important to me, but not when my family's around, you know, that kind of stuff. So we kind of did that. <clears throat> um, and the funny part of that was too, was my sister. So like, what about Violet? And like she didn't get it right she thought i was like throwing violet away for this other person like no violet's dating that person too like, it's <laughs> right like yeah. it's you know so it's you know but it would be the same thing like if i was going to a, to a to like a group like am i gonna hide that or bring both people with me right you know yeah yeah i think that um you know of the two styles of of poly groups so like having kind of a purely social or a purely discussion I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I can't choose because I feel like they're both so important because on the social side, like I love to just hang out and eat good food, have good drinks. I mean, Milwaukee culture is based and built around alcohol. So right. it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's sadly, I don't know if sadly is the right word, but like, it is a big <laughs> thing here. Like drinking right. is the culture. And so like going out for a beer with friends is like a thing everyone does and um and so but then food is also a big deal here we love our food we love our coffee we love our beer and so so like um socializing with friends that when you say you know my husband's girlfriend if you were to say that in a sentence people aren't just gonna be like what the fuck did you say? you know like, like they're not gonna look at you weird they're gonna be like yeah right okay yeah your husband's girlfriend yeah of course uh and so they uh you know you can you can speak openly and you don't have to censor yourself and I feel like that is so liberating and so important and and socializing in that way and then also just meeting other people with common lives yeah. and experiences and dynamics you know like that is also really important you, especially when if you're if you're someone who doesn't necessarily want to date online you can't meet people randomly at a bar and hope that they're okay with poly like that's it's almost it's nearly impossible it, it yeah. i'm sure it happens to some people but i can't even imagine it right now and if you're not really one who likes online dating the only options you have to meet fellow poly people are local groups and meetups and yeah. so, whereas in a discussion space, I would not suggest people come to meet 
to date, you know, it is not a meat market, but, but, it, um, but in a purely social space, I'm like, yeah, you know, like come to meet people. It's, it's not a meat market. Of course, you're not necessarily there to hook up, but if I met my husband at the poly group, you know, like I met my husband socializing after a poly discussion group. And so like, it is definitely a space to meet new people and to make new friendships and connections. And maybe a romantic connection will, will form, maybe not. But like, so I think that that's incredibly important uh, for the community and for uh, people who are social and don't get to you know, be in a space where they, where they are, are only in spaces where they have to censor themselves all the time. So I think that's incredibly important. But then the discussion aspect, I want to say is just as much, if not more, because so many people come into polyamory uh, or opening up the relationship with monogamous mindsets and um and mentioning this book again building open relationship dr liz uh the author calls it uh monogamy hangover where you have like all of these uh, societal like constructs in your head that you have to get over you have to uh, move past or polyamory is not going to work for you if you still think yeah. you know like possessiveness and owning your partner in an unethical way uh, is is okay, you know, or or if you're thinking about, you know, like, uh, or if you're super jealous, or if you're a super insecure person who can't deal with other people, and you're constantly comparing yourself, you know, all these things that are pretty commonplace in monogamy, you have to work through. And I think people do that in discussion groups, and people can work out their stuff and get support in discussion groups. So I think that's just as important, if not more, uh, than just a purely social group. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, um, a couple things on that. I, you know, I the having a safe space where you can verbalize things and where you're like you talk about, you can mention your your girlfriend and people. I was like, yeah, of course. Um, I, I I love to do that to people in like my common life and <laughs> see what the reaction is. And I always only do it with a girlfriend because for some reason, when when women say you have like you have a girlfriend, people automatically just assume it's a friend. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, mm -hmm. guys don't say I have a boyfriend because that's unless they have a boyfriend right? right but like my male friends are not my boyfriends you females tend to I have a girlfriend and it's your girlfriend it's your friend it's not your role like a role like a romantic partner or something it's not so the often, automatic assumption for sure right right so often I will slip into a conversation somewhere about my partner Violet and I and I'll say our girlfriend and people assume I mean her friend Mm -hmm. not our girlfriend <laughs> so mm -hmm. I slip that in there sometimes it's kind of like a game like oh let's see who let's see whose eyes perk up when I say that and who people don't like, like we'll see which ones actually like ask a question or if they just let it go as you know my partner's friend mm -hmm. um it's kind of interesting it's it's a fun it's a fun experiment occasionally um but yeah I mean having that safe space of a group was just it was it was enjoyable to have and to be able to ask questions without somebody being completely like like not nice to you or you know also not having like i love how you guys when you have people like i i learned the comet relationship from your pod from from your podcast right i had never heard that before and actually my partner and i right now violet and i are we're actually talking to somebody who um is a friend of hers from years ago who we recently found out she said that she's had a crush on us for this whole time and we're like, why did you never say anything? She's like, well, when we get in social situations, I stare at you awkwardly. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, 
that doesn't help us. I don't realize that that's what that that's what that means. So she lives a ways away from us. So we're trying kind of working on a long distance comet relationship with her now that recently started like a month or so ago. But you know, knowing those terms. So sometimes getting into a safe space where the terminology and the jargon is kind of understood for the most part is just even relaxing. Yeah. Because when you talk to somebody who is not poly and you have to spend the first 20 minutes of a conversation explaining things like V's and hinges and metamors and comets and all these things. And you all, you spend like all, you feel like all you're doing the whole time is discussing the terminology to them to get them up to, up to, up to speed. You're not really getting as much out of the conversation as they are. So yeah, absolutely. Having it feels really, like a class then. Right. And not that, and not that I mind that I love to educate people on poly. I love talking about poly with people, but having that safe space where the jargon is more or less understood again, you know, I've been doing this for you know a while now and you guys brought up comment and I was like, Oh, of course that makes complete sense. And I never thought about what that really was, but you know, most of the jargon you guys use on your show, I understand already. You throw a few words at me one, once in a while that I don't know, but it's, you know, that's how, that's how we learn and grow, but they have that, you know, 85% of the jargon be communally understood and you don't have to explain it really leads to getting to actually have a discussion group about poly and learning new things or growing and having some growth on your side of it instead of just educating people all the time about it we might have lost katie where did you go <laughs> well okay i think we lost her yeah it could be that's okay though well um i think we've covered pretty much everything so unless so is there anything else you wanted to add for the topic of like creating poly spaces i don't think so i think i think uh i mean do it if you have <laughs> yes. the opportunity to do it, if there's not a group in your area, get a few people that you know together and do it and just see what happens. Like try, try to just start something. And now obviously it's easier. You have ways of, you know, have Instagram and all these ways that you can advertise and get the word out there that I didn't have when I tried to start mine. Um, but just do it, get it out there and see what happens. You might meet some really cool people that you wouldn't otherwise. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I highly encourage folks to do it. All right. Well, thank you so much for contacting us and for being on the podcast. This is this is a lot of fun. I, I think that this is a really important um, like aspect of polyamory is finding community. So, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like and, that's, you know and that's in that. And, you know, and sometimes, you know, like I said, my partner and I, Violet and I, I think we're going to move within the next couple of years. We're going to move somewhere else because one of the primary reasons is we don't have the community around us. And luckily we have the luxury, right? We have the ability that we can say, let's just move. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I realize that we are fortunate. We have a little bit of privilege there that we are allowed to say, let's just move. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we're both, it's going to be scary. We're both going to leave everybody behind. Anybody that we've ever, we've ever known, we're going to move to a place that we've never been before. I mean, we're going to go visit ahead of time, but you know, we're not going to have an established group of people to just fall into when, when we get there. So it's going to be very, very scary, but so we have that privilege, though, to be able to be like, look, we don't have the community that we want here. We've kind of tried to establish it. We've kind of tried for years to dabble in it and find those people. And it's either just super hard or the people that we're looking for just aren't here. Mm -hmm. So let's go find someplace else to do it and let's find a different, different, different place. Yeah. And moving to bigger, if, if you, again, if you have the ability and, and community or whatever to, to be able to move to a bigger city, it, it's almost always going to, you're 
most big cities in in America have and the world and the world really have a polyamory community that you will be able to find. Um, they, like I said, they they do kind of come out of the woodwork, even if you're in a smaller community. But oftentimes, folks are driving for quite a while to get to you, oh. or or you're driving to get to a bigger space, so it can be difficult. But yeah, if you have the ability to move to a bigger city, you're going to find your people a lot easier. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, you know, and even part of it is too, is not only are you just trying to have people that you have this commonality with, but, you know, part of it is too, you do want to find people that maybe you do have a connection with that can be more, right? Like, yeah. you, you know, if you're also looking to have more partners and date more people, if you feel like you've exhausted your community because you have a small community, like I know you guys were saying that, you know, the six degrees of separation where, you know, if you date somebody in Milwaukee, you probably know somebody else that, that they've dated, Right. So a hundred percent. No, not even like two degrees of separation. Everyone, it's very incestuous. <laughs> right, right. So, and if you have a small community to start with and you've met as many of them as you possibly could through like a poly group, like in our poly group, my, my partner, Violet and I, we never dated anybody. There was not anybody in our poly group that we ever dated. Um, we enjoyed them and we had made friends out of them and have friends that we cared about and, and stuff, but we never had a date from our poly group. Yeah. And not that that was the, the sole purpose. But if you're looking for partners and you're a poly group, poly not group, but your poly community is small, maybe you have to go somewhere else where you can get a different community, preferably a larger one, because you know, but so that's that that's what our hope is to go somewhere with a larger poly community where we can meet people. Cause yeah, at some point we are gonna, you know, especially if we go there and none of our partners come with us. So we end up with these, you know, a couple comet relationships you know, if we're looking for somebody more steady, more long-term and, you know, local, then we're going to have to find people that we could date down there or wherever we end up being, you know, so find, find a group that you can do that as well as learn and grow from all of the other stuff, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Thank you so much. I hope it's, oh, it's probably just as cold where you are as where we are. It's very cold here, but uh, <laughs> hope you get to ha- enjoy the rest of your Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I will. Thank you. Thank, thank, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. As I'm, I'm, I'm interested in getting caught up with the rest of the 20 or so episodes I have to listen to. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks. have a good day. <laughs> Say bye to Katie for me. I will. <laughs> All right. Bye. bye. And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye.